We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moots and Runes podcast. This episode 92 of the pod as we inch closer to the Sunday. Eight to go. That's that's right, right? Kobe Bryant more episodes to go. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. Young Kobe. Young, young Kobe. Kobe more episodes well, to go. Okay. Young Kobe might be problematic. Yeah, yeah it could be. <laughs> could be an issue. Let's not. Let's not. <laughs> no, we're not uh, young Kobe. Young we're Rex Grossman. We're, we're, we're Rex Grossman episodes away. That could be even worse. But uh, <laughs> plenty to get to today. We have a top-notch interview coming your way. Mark Schanowski of NBC Sports Chicago joined the podcast to talk a little Bulls, talk a little National, talk a little NBA as we head into the All-Star break. But first, we got to hit a couple topics. You know we are a Chicago podcast. Mm. And right after being a Chicago podcast, we are a football, football. podcast. There is still football. There is still life. Matt, you are officially an Alliance of American Football super fan. I'm right? an Or I'm an Orlando Apollos fan. I've, I've, You're an Apollos fan. I was. Okay. I, they were always kind of the leader in the clubhouse to be my team. We talked about this actually. You, you said the Stallions had some awesome uniforms. I saw those as well. Mm-hmm. Those great uniforms. After watching Saturday night, and I bet them minus seven, uh, and they won me some money. Steve Spurrier, the Orlando Apollos. That's a team to watch. Plus, they got Bears colors. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's, it's a natural yeah. fit. It's an easy choice there. Uh, uh, jerseys aside, um, what uh, what was your takeaway from weekend one in the AAF? You know, the first night was actually pretty interesting. I don't know if they had a feeling that those were going to be three or four of their best teams, but the, the, the two mm-hmm. games they showcased that Saturday night was actually pretty decent football. Um, and then you got to the next game where, like, Christian Hackenberg, or the next day where Christian Hackenberg was starting, and he was still, like, 3 of 12 at halftime for 20 yards, and he wasn't any better than he was in the NFL. It took a little bit of a slide. Um, I'm still going to, like, I mean, I, I have the two TVs set up on a Saturday night or a Sunday afternoon. It's still probably going to get one of the TV treatments. It's it's still something. It's not awful, but it's not, you know. I think they got everybody a little bit excited that Saturday night because, like, they tricked us into, like, hey, there's still football on your TV. So everybody watched it and loved that they were watching football. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, Sunday you kind of came back down to earth a little bit and had to accept it for what it was. Yeah, if you um, if you look back, I was looking at kind of a case study someone did on uh, XFL ratings. The first couple games were through the roof because you know mm-hmm. people's insatiable appetite for football. But when you look at the actual product, uh, you might lose some fans week two and beyond. And I might be one of those people. It was nice to have football on TV and have it in the background of whatever I was doing at work, but. Um, there's not 64 good enough quarterbacks to play in the NFL, let alone a whole nother batch of 64. So a hundred, what is that? 28. There aren't 128 yeah. professional quarterbacks in the world. And we're watching, we're going to end up watching a lot of poor quarterback play. And in my estimation, the most talented players you're going to see in the Alliance of American football are on the defensive line. I yeah. think that's where the greatest depth in talent is at football players. And you are going to see a lot of guys who very well could be on NFL rosters on those defensive lines, torching second-tier offensive linemen and therefore assaulting second-tier quarterbacks. Well, we I saw an assault. Be I think it was on, uh, who was the quarterback? Uh, Berkovici, the kid from ASU. Um, he got his head taken off. And it's not a penalty in the AAF, so um, thoughts and prayers to all the quarterbacks in the AAF. But I think that 
the disparity in talent is going to be an issue when you have guys that talented going up against guys that maybe are a couple steps behind what you need to be at an NFL level. I think Saturday night you saw something that was appointment television for some people because like you said with the xfl ratings early on like i want to see what this is all about this is football it's back and people did go out of their way to tune in that's why i think they had the 2.1 rating it got higher ratings than okc versus houston that night but i think from mm-hmm. here on out you're not going to see that be appointment television anymore which is only natural I, I think like you said it's going to be something that i'm not going to go out of my way to watch but if i'm you know laying low on a saturday night or a sunday afternoon and there's something and that's on you know tv if there's not much else on if golf's not interesting if college basketball's not interesting sure i'll throw it on and i'll watch it but that's where you you're, you're going to start seeing these ratings come down is nobody's going to make this appointment television like they do the yeah. nfl or college football um, it was okay i think that's the big yeah. takeaway there it was okay it was okay that, which is okay uh, that's something fine. to tide us over I don't think there is a viable business plan for this to be a secondary league with any sort of staying power. The only way you can get this to be something that can stick around and the XFL is going to have the same thing is if you can start luring, you know, top high school recruits or, you mm-hmm. know, freshmen from Alabama who don't want to go back to you know, th- those types of players. Like if you can start getting guys who aren't going to the NFL yet, but are good enough to, you know, go to the draft but aren't eligible and they can start getting these guys to say, hey, I'll, I'll pay you, you know, whatever. Obviously, Alabama still, you know, these guys, these kids are still getting paid a little bit under the table, but I can give you a contract for two years before you go to the NFL. That's when this might start actually taking off because then you're actually getting some premier talent. If the, if one, if the Orlando Apollos could go to Trevor Lawrence and say, hey, hey I'll give you $2 million if you come here and play here for two years. Mm-hmm. Okay, then maybe you have a chance. I think, uh, I think they got to get some – that selling point is going to be contingent on getting some viable offensive line play. Yeah, I think so, I think Trevor um, Lawrence might take a look, one look at what happened with like Berkovicki and be like, "Beach, you know, I'll just stick it out at Clemson and take my chances." Yeah, but I, I do I do get what you're saying there. That that is their that's their angle. That's their hook. You know, that's that's the way to stay. Um, whether or not that it happens. We will see. We will yeah. See. But um, I have nothing else to say about the Alliance of American Football. That's about it. Due to your silence, I take it you don't either. Yeah, so, I'm good. Uh, we're okay. going to keep this uh, ship moving uh, downwind. And, you, you don't uh, want to do a lock of the week with the American Alliance, um, Alliance of American Football? We could do that, but um, that's, I think, another hook for them is, you know, they have to get gamblers involved. Things in terms of sports betting, get the gamblers involved. Um, that's a that's a big market there that you have to tap into, and I think being the offbeat league allows them to do some interesting things in that vein. So, but we got to see those things quickly. We got to see those things now. We got to see those business models in place because, like I said, there's a two year shelf life on this thing in my yeah, eyes. Totally agree, um, Matt. Before we dive into this uh, fantastic interview with Mark Schnowski, it was a nice hockey minute. And you Ooh. take this as long as you want, but uh, the Hawks inching their way back up those Western Conference standings. So I, I, I'm going to talk a little bit. I'll, I'll talk about what's on my mind, and then I want you to, you know, have. Why don't you ask me a couple questions about being an outsider? You know, you're, you're obviously keeping an eye on the team, but you're not following them totally, mm-hmm. you know, closely. You know, eyes completely glued to them. Ask, ask me a couple questions you might have, and I might be able to answer you there too. I'll get off my chest what I would like to, Perfect. and then you come back with whatever you got. Um, so yeah, the like I mentioned, uh, t- uh, you just mentioned the Hawks are, are rolling. They've had a seven-game win streak going until that was uh, that, that was pretty ruthlessly snapped in Boston. They had a terrible first period and weren't really able to recover. They lost 6-3 to three to Boston. 
Um, they're, they're playing well. They've gotten themselves back into the playoff race. I believe still just four points out of the last playoff spot, which is very doable. Um, there, there's some teams to climb, but a lot of those teams to climb are, you know, the Arizona Coyotes. And I don't know about you, Joe. I'm just not going to be worried about the Arizona Coyotes. Um, Patrick Kane's still playing as good a hockey as he's the, the, the Yotes. Uh, er, er, Patrick Kane's playing as good a hockey as he ever has. He's on a 15 game point streak. Uh, he's right up there. I think he's only a couple points behind Nikita Kucherov for the league leading points. So he's he's playing his best hockey of his career. Jonathan Taves is playing the best hockey of his career, or close to it. The issue that this team still has, uh, it's one that we've kind of harped on since they started this regular season, is they're just so thin defensively. Um, mm-hmm. Eric Gustafson's having a great year as an offensive defenseman, but def- defensively he's not all that great. Uh, Duncan Keith, is he's been okay, but I still think he's kind of He's kind of coasting until he doesn't have to coast, if that makes sense. I think he's kind of on the Marion Hossa plan uh, in his career where he has to kind of you know save himself a little bit. He's got a little bit of a pitch count and has to know when to pick his spots. Um, Henry Yokiharu, the first-round draft pick who had a, a great start to the year, is, is in Rockford for some reason. I'm not really sure why. Uh, he's probably a, their third-best defenseman. I know they wanted to showcase some guys, see what was going on with kind of their – lack of depth or their, their depth players, but I think it's time to bring back him back up if you're in a playoff race. Uh, and Corey Crawford, Joe, who we said might never play hockey again, is, is back on the ice. He's skating. He's healthy, and it, it looks like he's – I'd be surprised if he didn't play again this year with where he's at. It seems like he's ready and wants to get back out on the ice. That's um, always a good sign because we know as Corey goes, so do uh, the Hawks, so does this team. I think those are some uh, – very concise thoughts regarding these Blackhawks, but what it sounds like to me is that you are back in the place where you think that they can make the playoffs. You think yes, this is a playoff they, team? Uh, I don't know if the, the, it can absolutely be a playoff team. I mean, it's it with when you have that many teams in the mix. I'm, I'm pulling up the wild card standings now. The Hawks have mm-hmm. Colorado, Vancouver, and Arizona ahead of them. Uh, Minnesota is currently the team in the second wild card slot, but they are in just an absolute tailspin. I don't think they'll stick around much longer. It wouldn't shock me to see the Hawks jump any of those teams and make the playoffs. I'm not sure they're a team that's going to be able to compete with Winnipeg or Nashville in a first-round matchup if that's what they get, uh, just because those teams are so good. But the Hawks are also that team where I I would imagine none of those teams want to face because you still have Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves on the other side. That's a this team could be a playoff team. They're not a cup team this year by any means. They're they're an off-season away from being a very good off-season away from being a team that we see. You know, being at the top of the division again, being a team we see as a contender, but they have to make the right moves this offseason. That said, they're not as bad as the team we saw during that tailspin where they lost whatever it was seven in a row, and I think it was 11 yeah. out of 12 early on. They're just not that bad of a team. It was just a rough stretch where they didn't play well and they didn't get any puck luck. They're starting to get some bounces again now. Their young guys are starting to make make big strides, and I know we don't like Stan Bowman on this podcast all that much, um, he didn't handle the offseason great. He didn't handle the firing of Joel Quenville all that well. Um, but I will say some of the moves he's made this year have been A-plus moves. Um, the Nick Schmaltz trade to Arizona got them Dylan Strom, who's been a point-per-game player since getting here. I think he has 31 points in 33 games, something along those lines, and has been a stalwart on the power play. He's been a stalwart on the second line and, and has found chemistry with his uh, his old junior teammate, Alex Dubrinkit. Uh, he was able to somehow offload Brandon Manning's contract for a guy in Drake Kajula who's on the first line right now with Kane and Taves, but when the team, if and when the team gets good, is is a very effective bottom six forward. So he's made some pretty shrewd in-season moves, and you're going to need to see that 
again uh, come come off season time. But he also signed Colin Delia. I'm not sure if you you know that name, Joe. He's been the the number one goalie pretty much who's filled in when Crawford went down. He signed him to a three year, three million dollar extension, uh, which was an absolute steal for a guy who might be their starter the next couple of years. So he, he's had a good in season. It's it's going to have to continue in the off season though. Uh, you mentioned the moves that you hope or that need to be made this off season. Uh, friend of the podcast, and this is this podcast is just filled with NBC Sports Chicago oh, yeah. employees today. Uh, Slavko Bekovic uh, put up a oh, breakdown. Um, I think I saw that. Uh, his uh, his what what could next year's roster look like? That one, the one you're what talking about. What could next year's roster look like? And top left, the first name you yep. see there is oh, Artemi yeah. Panarin. How does how does how do the Blackhawks go about reacquiring Artemi Panarin? Well, Artemi Panarin's a free agent, and the Blackhawks he's a free agent at the end of the season. Um, and that he how long has he been gone for? What did he sign short term? So yeah, so his he's deal been gone with for the, what, so, three years. So he was a restricted free agent uh, when the Hawks. You remember the Hawks signed him to an extension. Uh, he was a restricted uh-huh. free agent, which I believe it's under twenty five. Um, under age twenty five in the NHL, you're restricted. Once you get past that, you can be a restricted free agent. Might be twenty six, but those are semantics. The Hawks basically signed him through his restricted years, uh, so signed him a two year, six million dollar deal, or six million a year, so twelve million dollar deal. So right when he turned twenty seven, that off season, he is he can hit the unrestricted free agent market. He either would have had to take a discount uh, to sign long term with the Hawks, or be like, I'll take this short term deal gamble on myself and hope I can hit it big when I'm 27 and that's, a, that's exactly what he did he's been uh, nothing short of fantastic in Columbus he's going to get himself paid probably 10 million a year but uh, the, the Blackhawks have as good of a case as good of a reason to go out and sign him as good of a reason to lure him over here anyways I mean the, their money for the first time in a long time isn't terribly all that tied up like there's going to have some to spend they're going to have some guys that they can also move out if they want to free up even more space and they can very easily mm-hmm. just point to Artemi Panarin and say, hey, look look at those two seasons. Look what you did with Patrick Kane. You can just come here, make $10 million a year, and play with Patrick Kane. That's our offer. Um, and it, it's as good of an argument as I think any team's going to have because he knows what that success is like. He knows how much he liked it here. That's, uh, Artemi Panarin. that's not the only move they have to make. They have to sure up the blue line, which is where you're going to have to get creative. You're going yeah, to have to make some about. trades. You're going to have to hope some of these young guys that they have in the system that they're very high on take you know, steps up, but it's not impossible. Not impossible, and that's what we like to hear. Artemi Panarin, this offseason. Bring him home. Keep your eyes peeled. Bring him home. Bring him home. Bring him home. Well, Matt, let's uh, let you and I bring it home here and bring on some actual talent into the Moose and Runes podcast. NBC Sports Chicago Bulls pre and post game host and analyst Mark Chanowski. He was good again, Just, man. He's, just the, on on the screws on the nails. We, we, we put him on the time. We put him on the spot with you know obviously bull stuff, but random stuff around the NBA. You ask him what the pulse is like in the Lakers locker room, and he's immediately able to tell you. Like th- this guy, he, mm-hmm. just, he knows everything. He keeps an eye on everything. Women lie, men lie. Mark Shinowski never lies, ladies and gentlemen. Mark Shinowski of NBC Sports Chicago. Joined now by NBC Sports Chicago Bulls pre- and post-game live host Mark Shanowski, a stalwart in the Chicago sports media landscape for the last... And on the Moose and Roots podcast. And on the Moose and Roots podcast, now a recurring guest. The the listeners always clamoring for more Shanowski. Mark, thank you for joining us. Yeah, that's on my business card, NBA stalwart. So that's good. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, goodness. Well, Mark, uh, you know, a lot to get to here. And uh, the biggest uh, topic at hand, I guess, is the 37 points off the hand of uh, Otto Porter, the new addition to the Bulls. Uh, you know, this is what they want to see out of this guy. They think that he can be that wing type that NBA rosters need at this point. Uh, what did you make of the performance? Well, it was great. You know, the knock on him in Washington was that he was a reluctant shooter. Matter of fact, when the Wizards came in a couple nights after the trade, Scott Brooks said that uh, the one thing we always tried to get from Otto was to get him to be more aggressive on the offensive mm-hmm. end. And you know how that works in the media game. The reporters just ran over to Otto and said, hey, your old coach said you, you don't shoot enough. And he kind of was taken aback by that. Uh, he played in a ball-dominant and a guard-dominant offense in Washington with uh, John Wall and Bradley Beal. And I think... Because he was a young player coming in, he just figured he would settle into that third option situation. But with the Bulls, they desperately needed an influx of three-point shooting and a guy that uh, could consistently make shots. And in his first four games in Chicago, he's been outstanding. I mean, the game that he had uh, against Memphis was extraordinary to, to hit uh, – Whatever, whatever it was, 14th or 18th in the field, it was just remarkable. And he, you know, the thing that's been good about him is that he doesn't seem to get rattled by, by things. He's got a really nice, easy approach. Uh, he takes the shots that come to him. And I think as this rebuild goes forward in Chicago, he may turn out to be a more prominent piece than we first thought when the trade went down. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's a question Matt, I, just, go ahead. I kind of wanted to ask from your answer there. I mean, he, Markinen and Levine are obviously key pieces of that rebuild. Do you see Otto Porter kind of on that level now after we've, what we've seen from the last four games or even maybe eclipsing Zach Levine in, in this rebuilding process as we go forward? Well, you never know how things are going to develop. I, I think still that uh, Markinen and Levine are your, are your two feature pieces because they're guys that uh, you know you really went out of your way to, to, to try to acquire in, in the Jimmy Butler trade. And, and I think that those guys have – Maybe a little bigger upside than what Porter has. I think Porter can be more aggressive. I think he can score at a more consistent clip. But I think that when you look at guys that still have room for growth in their games, I think Markin in particular is going to be their feature piece, a guy that's seven foot tall that can put the ball on the deck and shoot the three-pointer. He's a better defensive rebounder than people give him credit for. I mean, he's had double-doubles in eight of his last nine games now. Uh, Levine can jump out of the gym. He can score in a variety of ways, and you know, he's only 23. So I, I think those are those are your two feature guys. But you know the decision is going to have to come with Porter ultimately in a couple of years. You know, you know we always look down the road and try to project a, a team's salary cap situation. He's going to be making 55 million dollars over the next two years, and when that comes mm-hmm. due, he's only going to be 27 years old, and the Bulls mm-hmm. will have to decide does, does, where does he fit. At that point, you could have added potentially, uh, you know, Zion Williamson to the mix if they get lucky in the lottery. I think they'll probably pick up a couple of veteran free agents this year. And, you know, you just don't know how the cap is going to go. I think that's really going to be the key to see how he fits. But if he plays like he did against the Grizzlies, uh, you'll find a way to keep him a part of this. Go ahead, Joe. Matt, go ahead, yeah. Uh, you, you brought up Lowry, and I just I wanted to ask you on there. You, you brought up the eight out of nine double-doubles. I think that's five in a row. Is this – is he kind of hitting his stride here? Is this what we should expect from him going forward? And obviously a double-double a night should never be a given, but a guy who can do that on any given night, I mean, he's already only 21. He had that slow start to the season because of the elbow. But is this kind of the Lowry we should expect pretty much from here on out going forward? 
Yeah, he finished his rookie season so strong that we anticipated that he was going to make a big jump in year two. And then, of course, he suffered the elbow injury one of the first training camp practices and was out for almost two months. When he first came back, I know we talked about it a lot on the pre- and post-game shows, that he just Mm -hmm. didn't look the same, that he just didn't have that aggressiveness. He wasn't really taking the ball to the basket with the same power that he did as a rookie. And we were wondering, was the elbow still bothering him? You know, it didn't seem like that was that significant of an injury at the time. They talked about it being a, you know, a grade two elbow sprain that he, he would be able to come back from without any issues. But he talked in post-game, even after the Memphis game, where he said it's still not 100%, that it still doesn't feel exactly normal. So I think that's what was holding him back initially when he came back. And the, the streak of games that he's put together are more what I think everyone expected from Lowry in year two. And, and, and I think the Bulls front office and the coaching staff are, are really excited about what he can become. I'm not saying he's going to be Dirk, but he, he could be pretty darn close. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, a great a, a great piece, a talented piece there. I have the, uh, I guess it's a unique position of being out here around the Sacramento Kings team and having a first row seat at what was once considered a quite dysfunctional front office. Uh, Vladi, Peja, those guys have now, Vivek, have put a couple moves in, in a row that, that the fans like, that the team has started to like. In looking at that as a foil to the Bulls' front office right now, you're only a couple moves away from turning the tide. But Matt gave me a little homework here. It was an interview. It was an interview, I believe, with uh, Pax on six seventy a few days a few days ago. And there were so many just conflicting directions to me. And when you talk about Lori Levine and Porter and having those three pieces at least for the next two years, looking at it. The message was still that we're not there, not ready to go after free agents this offseason. I know you don't have a max slot, but you're only one move away from having a max slot. Do you feel like this is still a front office that is pointing in 10 different directions? Well, uh, I think they're trying to adjust the realities of what the marketplace is. You know, back in 2010, when the Bulls cleared out two max slots to try to go after LeBron and Dwayne Wade or LeBron and Chris Bosh or whoever else they were going to get, whatever combination of the two, Pat Riley outsmarted him, and he found a way to clear out three slots, and that was the way that he created that super team in Miami. Yeah. And now you're seeing what the Knicks have done with their trade with Dallas, where they were able to unload the contracts of Tim Hardaway Jr. and Courtney mm-hmm. Lee on the Mavericks to open up a second max slot. If you're rebuilding, if you're a losing team, the only way you can attract – uh, an elite free agent is to say, hey, why don't you come and bring whatever player you want with you? And I think that's yeah. the, the approach that the Knicks are going to take with Kevin Durant this summer is to say, hey, you come, bring Kyrie Irving, bring Jimmy Butler, bring Kemba Walker, whoever you like, and you know we'll, we'll really get it going here. And, of course, the Knicks have the worst record in the league right now, and they're, they're hoping to get lottery luck as well. So, you know, it's very tricky when you're a team that's been losing for a while to, to try to get even get an audience with one of these elite free agents. And, you know, I, I understand what you're saying and, and, and why mm-hmm. some of those interviews with Pax got so contentious because the fan base is, is wondering why can't a major market team like the Chicago Bulls with their history uh, not get an, at least get an audience with, uh, with, with an elite player and, and take a crack at bringing one of those guys in. But, they, you know, there's so many teams that have – major money to spend this summer that there's no chance they were going to get one of those top five or six guys. And then if you look at trying to overspend for the likes of a Chris Middleton or or a guy who's, you know, a really good player but not a star, if you start maxing out players like that, you're 
your cap sheet is going to be a mess. And, you know, yeah. they took on Porter's big money, which, you know, he's he's grossly overpaid for what he provides, but mm-hmm. they only have two years left on that. And I think they just looked at, you know, we have to figure out what's the best use of our cap space. And I think they'll still fill in around the edges. You know, there's going to be a lot of uh, veteran point guards available this year. I think they're definitely going to go for a guy like a, a Ricky Rubio or maybe even a, a Derek Rose reunion. And, and you know, try to supplement that position. I think they need to replace Bobby Portis with another, you know, good shooting big that they could bring off the bench. And if they get lucky in the draft, then uh, immediately they're a team that uh, I think can contend for a playoff spot in the East next season. We so, can't just gloss. We can't just gloss over a Derrick Rose reunion comment. There, we got we got to double back on that one. Is that something that you really think could happen? I mean, on both sides of this, because you look at. Uh, you look at it is a players' league now, and they talk about you know the players have more control. Do you think Derek would want to be back in a Bulls jersey? Yeah, I've talked to a number of people on that topic, and and the door is open on both sides. Now it would it would be a tricky negotiation because you would have to address you know some of the issues uh, that have developed over the years in terms of you know perception on on both sides and things mm-hmm. that were said, and I, you know I, I don't think there's really any. Huge hurdles to clear, though, in that area. I think that when Derek left, there were there were no uh, bad comments from either side about his his tenure with the Bulls. Most of it was just regret over the fact it didn't work out better because of the series of knee problems that he had. But I know that uh, that Derek loves his hometown, would love to do something special in the city of Chicago before he retires, and, and I think he would be open to to coming back. And I think the Bulls would would also be open to him returning under the right circumstances. Now, of course, Derek is having a, a really good year, even though he's, mm-hmm. he's missed a lot of games, which is, has been his norm. Um, but I think that I think it's a possibility if they can come to an agreement on a contract structure. You know, right now Derek's been playing for the minimum salary the last couple of years, and, and he's a proud athlete, a former league MVP. I don't know if he wants to finish his career going from team to team doing one-year minimum deals. I think if whatever team is going to sign Derek this summer, I think they're going to have to show him some respect both financially and in terms of years because he'll be 31 at the start of next season. It's hard to believe. It seems like just yesterday he came into the league. Really but, does. Uh, you know, he's going to want some kind of respect in terms of that contract structure. I think you're, you're going to have to give him at least two years, maybe $20 million, and I don't know if that's something the Bulls will be comfortable doing. Now, you, you talked about, I want to double back to the, the having two max slots, and that's kind of the way to lure you know big-time free agents to The Bulls, if you go back to, to last offseason, had the decision of Zach, with Zach Levine to pay him you know, the $20 million a year, he let him walk. I know it's a tough decision to kind of have him be the key piece in that Jimmy Butler deal and then just let him walk a year later. But if they knew that this offseason was coming, they knew that you know they're Chicago, they should be a big market, and they it also had Laurie Market at the time. Wouldn't have been the smarter move to let Zach Levine walk and position themselves for two max spots. No, I don't think you can give away a 23 year old guy with that kind of athletic ability, uh, just with the hope, with the blind hope that maybe you can do something special in free agency the following year. You know, this is year two of the rebuild, and you know Paxson has said repeatedly that that, that they have to be patient and you can't rush things. Um, you know, to, to give away Zach Levine uh, with nothing in return, with with just uh, you know the blind hope that maybe we can get something down the road, I think would have been a mistake for this front office. And and I, I and I might be in the minority, but I, I really am high on Zach Levine. I, I think that 
at that he's a tremendous offensive player. Obviously, he, he loses focus at times on the defensive end, and his shot selection at times can be questioned. But, but a guy like that who can score as easily as he does, and he's been playing better basketball as well in the short mm-hmm. term. You know, his, his totals have been up. He hasn't settled for as many three-pointers as he was early in the season when he was really the only guy that was doing anything on the offensive end. I'm still really optimistic that Zach Levine can be an all-star caliber player in the East. And if you've got an improving Zach Levine, a Lowry Markkinen who potentially can be a perennial all-star, you know, you've got two really nice pieces. And the Bulls are hoping to get a top three pick. Obviously, every team in the NBA that's involved in the lottery would love to get Zion Williamson. But even if they could add a dynamic point guard like a John Morant to this mix, I think that would improve them significantly. And then you could probably add a couple veterans in, in free agency, which would make your bench, which is a huge weakness right now, into, if not a strength, at least something that won't hurt you anymore. Yeah, that's kind of where I wanted to take you next, Mark, was, uh, you know, the Zion sweepstakes are are in full swing and full throw now, but in the likely reality that he does not end up with a Bulls jersey on his back uh, and the Bulls do have a top four pick, uh, where do you like them going? If I had the second pick, I would take Morant. You know, though, mm-hmm. you, you are a little bit concerned that he's, He's thin, you know, he's kind of Allen Iverson-like in that regard, just really, really a, a thin frame. You wonder how that's going to hold up over an 82-game yeah. NBA grind. And the caliber of competition he's facing in the Ohio Valley Conference is not that great. But, mm-hmm. boy, I'll tell you, when you see him explode to the rim, it, it, it's, it reminds you of Russell Westbrook or, or Derrick Rose pre-knee injuries where, you know, the, the dunks are just – he just jumps out of your TV screen. Uh, yeah. he's, not, he's not a great outside shooter right now, but I think that that's the one area that, you know, if you put in a lot of work as, as a professional player, I think that you're going to see improvement in, in, in that area. I, I think that he could be the, the second most exciting player coming out of this draft, and it's definitely a position in need for the Bulls. Um, I, I think R.J. Barrett is a good player. I think he's a little bit overrated in terms of his NBA potential. I think he'll be, I think he'll be a solid pro. I don't think he's going to, you know, be a huge difference maker. And and Cam Reddish until lately has been missing in action at Duke. I mean, he he shot the ball at about a 38% clip in in college, and he struggled from the college three-point line. He's looked good better the last couple of games, but you know, I think this draft drops off dramatically after Williamson. Morant and, and maybe Barrett as, as a third option. Um, so I want to switch up Nat to, to some national talk, talk cop, excuse me, topics here before we uh, before we let you go. Um, LeBron and the Lakers struggling pretty hard. Is this just the LeBron, you know, mid January February lull that he seems to go through every year? Or is this Lakers team actually in jeopardy of making the playoffs? Well, I think if LeBron can stay healthy the rest of the year, they'll definitely make the playoffs. They're only two games out of that uh, final spot, or two and a half behind the Clippers. They're, they're, you know, they're going to get it together. LeBron always finds a way to rally the troops and, and come up with a strong finish to the season. Although it was surprising that he that he missed 18 games with that groin injury. In the past, mm-hmm. he's been almost bionic in the way mm-hmm. he's able to shake off uh, injuries and, and be back if the next play, if not, you know, not the next game. Uh, I, I think the Lakers will make that postseason field. The team around him is is kind of a mess, but they do have, uh, you know, a couple of good young pieces in Kyle Kuzma and Brandon Ingram. I'm not a Lonzo Ball fan, but but him being out is kind of 
change their dynamic and how they want to run their offense. I think you're going to see a post all-star break surge, and I think the Lakers will get in the playoffs. But saying that, if they're the eighth seed and they got to play Golden State, well then it's good night, you know. So their 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 prospects are not are not real good in in the postseason. I, and obviously they're looking forward to a a summer where they can add a uh, impact player and, and and start getting this thing on the right track. But I was. You know, as someone who's who's watched LeBron kind of run the league over the last decade and and get everything he wants, I I was very pleased that New Orleans didn't cave and give them Anthony Davis. You know, the Lakers offered a, a pretty competitive package, you know, with five players, a couple of draft picks, and that would have set New Orleans up for a you know a, a jump start on a, on a rebuild, but. Mm-hmm. You know they're going to wait and see what Boston might offer. Wait and see who gets the first pick and might be willing to include you know the Zion Williamson pick in a trade. Uh, you know, good good for New Orleans for for not caving into the pressure. And and I, and I did t- did smile a little bit to see LeBron didn't get his way this one time. Where do you yeah. think AD ends up this offseason? Just likely going this offseason, not coming back. I think he ends up with Boston because Danny Ainge has been planning this for the last couple of years with all the trades he's made to acquire draft picks. He'll offer them, you know, multiple picks, some, you know, a couple that are, will be potential lottery selections. And if they put Jason Tatum in a deal, that, that'll get it done instantly because Tatum is the guy who can be a potentially all-NBA kind of player, and that's, that's the talent that New Orleans has been kind of holding out for. They, they know Kuzma and Ingram are good, but they don't know if they're going to be, you know, really special all-star, all-NBA type talents. And I think if Ainge puts Tatum in the, in the package, that's where he's going to end up. The, the one team to watch will be the Knicks. You know, if they get the first pick mm-hmm. and they they put that in the deal, you know, where New Orleans would get Zion Williamson, that might open the door to a potential trade as well. Yeah, there's always a storyline in the NBA. One thing that oh, really comes yeah. to mind when you're uh, bringing up the the Lakers there and what we saw with the Pelicans at the end of the deadline. I understand that it's a business, but sometimes these young players it takes them a week or two to get over the fact that, hey, my GM just shopped me or uh, the guy who I play next to just shopped me for the last two weeks. What is obviously the temperature in that locker room maybe a little contentious right now? What's the temperature in the Bulls locker room right now? Because I'm, I walk into a Sacramento Kings locker room on a nightly basis where win or lose, the guys are almost too young to know any better that, you know, it smiles on the face. It's we'll get the next one or let's build on this win. What is that temperature in the Bulls locker room right now? Well, it's kind of an odd mix of characters. You know, with all the injuries they've had, they've got guys uh-huh. that, uh, you know, m- might be G League players in other situations who are taking uh, significant roles on the bench. And you've got guys that have been brought in from other organizations where they weren't playing and, and, and they're, they're kind of getting a chance. So I think right now it's, it's everybody trying to carve out where they fit as this rebuild continues. And, you know, both their top draft picks are out injured right now. Wendell Carter Jr. and Chandler Hutchinson are both hurt. And, that, and that's been a, a really bad development for the Bulls in that, you know, losing season, at least you can give your, your rookies a lot of playing time and see what you got. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think they like what they see in both of them. But, unfortunately, you know, they, their seasons were – were cut short. Uh, they're hoping to get Hutchison back from the broken toe to at least play, you know, ten or fifteen games at the end of the year. But but Carter is done for the season. But back to your original question, you know, some of the guys have, have taken the losing really hard. You know, Zach Levine in particular, yeah. he looks forlorn after games, and you know, he, you know, he said, something's got to change. We got, we got to stop this. We got to find a way to win some games. And he he had to take the, the offensive load on his shoulders early in the season when they had so many of their key guys out. And I think he's been worn down both physically and emotionally, and, and he needs the all-star break more than anybody. Uh, he's, he's taken this, this, all this losing personally. 
I know Chris Dunn has had a really tough year, both physically and on the court, and he's wondering where he fits. I, I know that he feels like he's a, a, at least a, a middle-of-the-pack point guard in the NBA, and mm-hmm. uh, starting point guard. And right now the Bulls are looking at it as, is this the guy we're going to go forward with? So he's he's dealing with questions about his future. Of course, Lowry had the injury concerns. Uh, Robin Lopez has been in and out of the rotation, although he's been playing really well lately. Um, you know, he knows his Bulls run is kind of coming to an end. So you got all these guys trying to figure out where do I fit in this whole in this whole mix, and it's it's yeah. led to you know kind of a, a somber locker room at times. But a lot of these guys are young, and and they do have the potential to to bounce back, knowing that that their best NBA days are ahead of them. I do you want can to totally you. sense that, Matt. I was just going to quick follow up. You just that, the fact that you can totally sense that on Zach every time I see him talk, whether it be locally or on national media. You that, can feel it in this postgame. That, yeah, just that, that weight that is on him right now because we look at this through the lens of where is Bulls basketball going to be three years from now, four years from now. Zach Levine's got to look at it through the lens of where am I going to be three years from now, four years from now. And I think knowing that there is little hope between now and then, that, that can really weigh on a guy who's uh, been tasked with leading a team in that position. Yeah, I think he looks at, at numbers of other two guards, especially in the East. He looks at uh, Kemba Walker and Bradley Beal and Chris Middleton being an all-star this year, and he's thinking, I'm averaging 23, almost five rebounds, five assists a game, and, and I don't even what? get a sniff as, a, yeah. as an all-star. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he, he worked really hard this summer, uh, really kind of went to boot camp and, and really challenged himself physically to get back to 100% after, you know, the ACL injury. And, you know, he's all the way back. And I think he mm-hmm. feels like there's not enough respect for his game league-wide because he's playing on a team that loses most nights. And okay. and I think that's a, a personal frustration to him. You know, next year, 2020, the All-Star Games in Chicago. And I know Aaron Gordon is already committed to doing the dunk or said he's going to do the dunk contest. And I think Zach will come back, too. So we may get a we may get a reprise of the uh, Levine-Gordon uh, dunk-a-thon that we saw back in 2016. So... Uh, you know, Zach, I'm sure, would like to be playing in the main event on Sunday, and that will really be linked to how much the Bulls can improve. And the other factor was Zach, you know, obviously he signed that offer sheet with the Sacramento Kings, and he's looking at mm-hmm. what they're doing, and he's thinking, you know, if the Bulls will let me go, I could have been a part of something that's really exciting and maybe been playing in the playoffs this year. Uh, you know, it's funny, uh, before uh, Matt asked me to come on the podcast, um, I was already planning an article that I, that I wrote on our website comparing what the Kings have done this year to what yeah. the Bulls can potentially do next year. And the Kings are an interesting case study. You know, they, they drafted poorly for most of the last decade, but they hit on De'Aaron Fox, who I've, I, you know, I love coming out of Kentucky, and he's been fantastic this year. Uh, Bagley is, is, is emerging uh, you know, as a guy who's going to be a force in the NBA. And Buddy Heald, who was a guy a lot of NBA people thought was going to be a bust, you know, has emerged as as really a knockdown shooter and scoring 20 points a game. So, you know, you make two or three of the right moves, you fill in exactly. with the right pieces, you get the right coach in place, and and it can it can come together pretty quickly. And you know, credit to Vlade Divac and their front office group for for sticking through, you know, staying tough through some of the criticism. And now you've got a team that that's being hailed around the league as a, as a team on the rise. And and I don't think the Bulls are that far away from that. The problem is right now is that there's a lot of fan unrest with the front office, a lot yeah. of fan unrest with whether they made the right move in promoting Jim Boylan to head coach, 
And until they start winning consistently, it's going to be tough to erase some of those fan perceptions that they're just they just don't have the right people in place to make to make this a winning program again. And, well, you just seeing it here. I think that the quickest way to you know break down that perception is to have guys overperform. I think we've seen, like you said, Buddy Heald severely overperform what people had expected of him this year, and it all started. He was not even slotted to be in the opening day starting five. Bogdan Bogdanovich was likely going to be in that spot. Has his knee scoped, Buddy starts the season off hot, and here we are. So I think, you know, not only making the right moves, but then getting your guys to overperform, having a Harry Giles start to break out, you need to have the players take those steps, regardless of what perception is. Well, there's no question about it. And, you know, guys, like a guy like Willie Cauley Stein, who people mm-hmm. thought was, was nothing. Uh, after you know, putting up so-so numbers his first three years in the league, is it's turned into a really solid NBA contributor. Uh, you know, you pick up Bielitsa, and he and he helps, and you know, all all the way down the line, and then, and then you get aggressive at the deadline, and you make a trade for Harrison Barnes, where you really didn't give up much at all, which was mm-hmm. you know pretty incredible that they were able to get him for that price. You know, they improved their bench, and and now they're they're in. in definitely a, a contender for one of those playoff spots in the West, and and you you look at it. You, try to push it down the road and see how that roster projects, and, and, and it looks really good if guys continue their development tracks. Absolutely. Matt? Yes, so you guys are talking about the Kings and the Bulls, and the Kings are kind of where the Bulls want to be. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, but draw a roadmap for me. What does this offseason have to look like for the Bulls to take that next step? Obviously, playing in the East, it might be a little bit of an easier path to getting back into that playoff picture, but what do the Bulls have to do? Who do they have to add? What types of moves are they going to make this offseason to take that jump? Yeah, I, I wrote about some of that in the article I was telling you about, that what they need to do is they need to get a top three pick. You know, you can't fall back to five or six in the, in the lottery and go, oh, who are we going to take? Because, as I said, you know, I've been watching a ton of college basketball, as I did a year ago, trying to find this this diamond in the rough. But every time I watch one of these guys that's projected as a as a mid-lottery pick, I come away disappointed. You know, I've watched Romeo Langford in Indiana, who's supposed to be this this great scoring uh, wing player who's got tremendous upside and every time I've seen him he's, he's been bad you know I, like I said I've been disappointed with with Reddish for, for most of the college season mm-hmm. and there's a kid at Texas Tech who looks okay in Jared Culver but he's not a you know a phenomenal athlete and uh, you know you can go on and on down the line it just for, the draft drops off after three so you have to you have to find a way to get some luck and get one of those top three picks right now the Bulls have the fourth worst record and, you know, if, if they can get one of those top three selections, that's step one. Then you go into free agency and you come up with two solid veterans, guys who are, are good character guys who are young enough to be productive on the court and are going to bring some stability to your locker room and really give a boost to your second unit. You know, I listed in the article guys that are potentially available at the point guard position, Ricky Rubio, Darren Collison, Derek Rose, and Patrick Beverly, another Chicago guy who could bring you some defensive-minded grit and toughness. Then I think you got to go out and get yourself a stretch four to replace what you lost in Bobby Portis. And, and that, that, that could be a little trickier as to who might be available. Another guy they could bring back who's not a stretch four, but a guy who's the ultimate veteran uh, leader guy would be Taj Gibson. So if you wanted to go for the uh, Derrick Rose-Taj Gibson double, you know, we talk about creating two max slots. You could you could bring back the two X bulls, but I I don't know if the sentiment would be there there for the front office. I think that they would prefer to get a, a big man who's who's a three point shooting threat. But you bring in two veterans, you get a top three pick, 
you get health, which is which is key, and then the front office has to make a really thorough evaluation on where they're at with this coaching staff at the end of the season. Is Jim Bo- do you want to start next season with Jim Boylan as your head coach? I know publicly, John Paxson has said that the plan is to bring him back next year. And what else is he going to say? You know, with with twenty some games left in the year, he's not going to say, "Well, this isn't working out. We're going to change coaches at the end of the year." He's got to throw support for the guy that's in in the chair right now. Uh, I don't know how that's going to wind up, but I think that if if they do get lucky and get Zion Williamson, maybe that speeds up their timetable for thinking who is going to be our coach long term, and maybe they do make make a change this summer. That that that, that could be the key to a to a whole number of possibilities for the Bulls is, is how those lottery combinations are going to shake out on May 14th. Do you have any names oh. out there as a possible head coach you'd, you'd like to see if, if Boylan's not the guy? Yeah, I, I would love to see Monty Williams come in here. You know, obviously he had some success in New Orleans before his you know his wife was tragically killed in that car accident and he had, he, he had to take some time away from the game. He's on the bench in Philadelphia as an assistant for Brett Brown. You know, he was an assistant for Team USA in the past. Uh, gets rave reviews for his ability to uh, interact with today's stars and with with young players in the game. Former player himself, and, and I think that that he would help, you know, change the perception of of what the Bulls organization is all about in some people's eyes, and maybe be a a, a plus if they go to the negotiating table with a, with some big name free agent down the line. Um, I, I like the job that that Frank Vogel did in Indiana, but he failed terribly in Orlando. You know, he's out of the game right now. I'm not sure if if he'd be a guy that they look at. And then you look at some of the young uh, rising guys around the league. You know, Jawan Howard has been on Miami's bench for a while. You know, he's been, been putting in his work as an assistant coach. Uh, he could be ready for a, for a head coaching opportunity, and he, he certainly knows what, what Chicago is all about. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, lot of possibilities of, of guys that, that could become available too this summer as other teams make their coaching changes. So I think there won't be any shortage of possibilities uh, right now, uh, I, I think the Bulls have to evaluate the last 24 games of the season and see what kind of progress, if any, they show with Jim Boylan's leadership. Right now, their their defensive system just isn't working. They're giving up an incredible amount of points, and, and the only way they can stay competitive is to score 120 points, and that's not a winning formula. Um, we'll have to see if they can tighten up on the defensive end and, and see if there's enough progress shown over the last couple of months of the season where – you know, Paxson and Garforman feel like, yeah, we can we can start next year with Boylan as our head coach. So a coach, a stretch four, a center, Zion Williamson, and a new attitude. And, and Derek Winkard. I think and Derek Rose. Rose. And Derek Rose. And Derek Rose. <laughs> Perfect. Be, I'll tell you what, if you if you it's bring Derek Rose and Zion Williamson to this mix next year, your your apathetic fan base is all of a sudden very they're, excited they're about the next upcoming season. The jerseys are flying off the shelves, the ticket prices are going through the roof and uh those are all signals of good things. Well, they both wear number one, so maybe one can uh, oh, wear one yeah. A. going to work? Yeah, going to yeah. work. Yeah, I'll play a one-on-one game at the, at center court at the United Center. You know, a full court game of one-on-one to see who gets uh, who gets number one. It, you know, it was, we got, it was we got funny. nothing but answers. It was funny. <laughs> you, you brought up before the Rose answer how you know the the whole Derek Rose back to Chicago dynamic is something you don't hear too often. If you had, if you watch Bulls pre and post game live, Kendall Gill brings that up at least once or twice a week. Okay. So I feel like for for us, that's, that's just a narrative I've heard all year for you. It's like, oh, it's a surprise. Oh wait, he doesn't listen to Kendall talk all the time. It's yeah, and, and I'll and I'll take it every day of the week. 
Oh yeah. And the thing Very is, bad. when he was in Cleveland last year, he was awful. You know, I mean, he was mm-hmm. lost. He he really looked like he, he left had nothing left to offer as a player. And I know a lot of it was physically he wasn't right, and he was playing with LeBron, who's going to dominate the ball in, in in any situation. And then to think, you know, about a former league MVP getting being a throw-in in a multi-team deal, you know, again, ending up being sent to the Utah Jazz, and they just cut him. I mean. The, the shots of him working by himself in a gym in the Cleveland area, it, it was, it was, you know, I know that uh, the stadium is coming out with that documentary on Rose, which which will be fascinating this summer. And, and obviously there's going to be the ultimate 30 for 30 on Derrick Rose's career. So uh, when you think about what this guy has gone through, both on a personal and professional level, for, for him to be playing the way he is this season is nothing short of remarkable. And, and I know that Rose is a polarizing figure. There are some people that love him and some people that, that don't like him for, for some of the things that, that, that have happened in his life. But in terms of a basketball story, I mean, you, you can't help but be uh, drawn in by it. It's, it's very compelling stuff. Yeah, and for a, a guy who, you know, always claims Chicago and we always claim him, it is great to see him back uh, on the up and up and, and doing what he does best out there on the court. Would love to see him back in, in the red and white, but uh, we shall see. Mark, as always, we appreciate your time. We know you're a busy man. Thank you for uh, shedding light on some bulls and some national topics. You can always follow Mark at Mark Shinowski on Twitter. You can check out his work at NBCSportsChicago.com. And the mind and, uh, and the my team's app, excuse me. Yeah, I got to stay on brand there. I apologize, guys. I apologize. <laughs> um, the future Mark, of the thank business. Thank you so much. And hopefully, uh, hopefully, next time we bring you on here, we are uh, feeling a little semblance of heading in the right direction for Bulls fandom. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to the All Star break to get away from it for a few days, and uh, there you we'll go. pick it up. and And I'll I'll continue my college scouting over the break, trying to find that diamond in the rough that I've yet to unearth. But guys, I want to thank it. you for having me on, and uh, continued success with the podcast. I always enjoy talking with you, and uh, you know, I hope we can do it again real soon. A big thank you again to Mark Shinowski, just a pro's pro, shedding light on all things Bulls and some things around the league, Matt. Uh, have you dusted off your, your old Derrick Rose jersey yet? I, I have not. and Mark's, I can. I think Mark's I can, telling you to. I think we got to do it or maybe buy some. I, I can confidently say I never owned a Derrick Rose jersey, but I had a couple jersey t-shirts. Okay. Rose, have you so, dusted uh, those off? Those still fit is the better question. I, I don't know where out. those are. Okay. I think those might have made it to a goodwill at some point or another. We like to, oh, you're, uh, you're we, like, we like to audit the wardrobe every once in a while, get out what's, what's not used and really just get it to some people that need it more. Well, you're, you know? a, you're, you're a good man. We're, we're giving, I encourage all of you to, I encourage all of you to do the same, but yeah, you made the point, Matt, that, uh, you know, the Derek Rose reunion seems like a real thing. In and Mark's it's, it's one that seems like, like it makes sense. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I just, my biggest hesitation, and it's something that I didn't necessarily dig into a ton with Mark because we could have been there for another hour talking about it, but Chicago as a destination and not the city, not the infrastructure, not the opportunity for business that all of these multifaceted guys are looking for now, a la Kevin Durant, Um, the Bolts, the front office, the roster. 
it is not the most attractive place to be. Now, if Derrick Rose wants to finish his career at home, do it in front of his beloved crowd, then yes, I I could see it happening. But if Derrick Rose wants to finish his career on a championship contending team, like most veterans do, Mm -hmm. I don't see him coming to the Bulls. You know, it's just, it's too much of a project right now for him to come in and think that it's a ready to win situation because it's just frankly isn't. Yeah, I mean, I think if Derrick Rose were to come here, it'd be more because he, he knows what he's getting himself getting into. I think it's just he'd rather be more you know comfortable and mm-hmm. be at home than he would you know go take. You know, Mark said it. He, he he's a proud guy. He's probably not going to want to take the league minimum and finish his career on one year league minimum deal. That's going to be nor does he deserve to. Yeah, no, he's played I, I know, this I season. Totally you know, agree, but in order to yeah. win that title. He's going to need to take a one-year deal from you know Golden State or, or Philly or or you know name your contender at the moment. Right yeah, he's going to need to take that, those one-year, yeah. you know maybe not league minimum but very cheap deal. Yeah. If it, it, it's um, all kind of up to him if he wants to come home and, and do that. And he can probably not get paid paid, but get more than he'd get from a contender. Yeah, all very exciting. Um, the thing that's encouraging in the NBA is rebuilds can happen fast and i like i said i've seen one and I, i'm seeing one right now firsthand mm-hmm. um it's just the willingness from the front office to put things into an expedited fashion that worries me about the bulls because you know that that uh, interview that we re- referenced with 670 with pax uh suggests the, the latter that, that that's not the case and that's not where their head's at right I'm, now i'm not they even a bulls really fan of that interview had me fuming like, well, I'm, they I wanted, shouldn't say that. I'm a Bulls fan, but like, I don't get too. You're a casual that. Bulls fan. That that interview had me just absolutely fuming. And that's that's a barometer of where the front office is at because that's the representation of the front office. And to hear them talking like it's a baseball rebuild and they're four years off is not encouraging. It's not the, you know, it's like I know you're not you know New York or L.A., but you're the Chicago Bulls. The Chicago Bulls should be a destination franchise. You should be able yeah. to make that into a destination franchise. It's the third biggest market in the city. It's as historic of a franchise as you have outside of you know the Lakers and the Celtics to an extent. The fact that it's not a destination franchise that people don't want to come here is because of the way it's being run. I mean, the Knicks are yeah. able to avoid that because they're the Knicks. They play in Madison Square Garden. James Dolan might be the most dysfunctional owner in all of sports, but... The, the Bulls have all the tools, all the keys, the resources to be a destination franchise, but it's not because of the way it's been run over the past few years. That's the only explanation for it. Don't tell me that it's the ghost of Michael Jordan that's scaring people away. It's not. That's, that, that, that's, that's long gone. Yeah, these guys, are, these guys are professionals. They're on the road 65 days a year. Where they make their home during the season is no longer the yeah. selling point. It's they don't what you can do with that team during the season they, is yeah, the selling point. They all live in L.A. Selling guys, the season anyways. Yeah, you're not selling guys the Mag Mile and um, steaks at uh, Mastro's. Like that's you're just not like that's not what sells anymore mm-hmm. at Chicago Cut. Like you're selling guys a winning formula, um, a formula that has yet to be built in Chicago. Yeah. Well, Matt, um, we could belabor uh, on the shortcomings of the Bulls, like we said, for another hour or two. But uh, why don't we jump into some segments, get into some other topics Segments make me happier. They make me Just air things out. Um, Matt, let's jump into a little buy or sell, and I'm going to lead us off. You know, I love Um, that segment. Buy or sell, 
uh, we're going to, we're going to jump into a little, uh, MLB free agency here. Uh, when you're looking at the three biggest gets yet to be signed in Dallas Keuchel, Manny Machado and Bryce Harper mm-hmm. buy or sell. One of those three players is not signed to a roster on opening day. I'm going to sell that. Um, I, I okay. still think you're going to make, you, you might see it make a serious dent into spring training, but I, I think these guys are too good. And I think they know that they're, you know, how much they'd be getting. I mean, the closer you get to opening day, the shorter term deals, higher money they're, they're going to get. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, Dallas Keuchel might not have gotten the long-term offer that he wants, but if somebody, you know, walks up to him, uh, say, you know, the Houston, it's Houston again, whatever, and says, hey, here's a one-year deal for $27 million. Come play for us. Come pitch. Uh, it, that's going to be pretty hard to say no to, especially if, you know, the only other offers you have are, you know, three years at, you know, 50 or whatever it is, something nowhere near. It, it's going to be hard to say no to that one year for all that money. So I think all mm-hmm. of the, all three of, I think Bryce and Manny still sign long-term. I think Keiko might be your best, you know, bet to go into the season, but I still think he signs a short-term deal worth a lot of money somewhere. So I'll sell that. Uh, I like it. I like the breakdown. I like well, the I like sell. Jake Arrieta last year. He ended up sell- signing that shorter-term deal for a lot of money. Good comparison. Yeah, good point. Um, Matt, hit me. Okay. Uh, do, you, do you want golf or do you want uh, NFL slash NBA first? I got, I got both of them for you. I have a feeling that I'm going to get both at some point, so you, you go will. ahead and ask whatever question you want. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, Adam Silver apparently has been given uh, been getting some inquiries from NFL owners about uh, you know possibly jumping sports uh, to, to be the commissioner of the NFL. I believe his contract still runs, runs through for a little while, so this is, would be way off. Um, but but buy or sell, I'm just going to ask you out front, Adam Silver would be a good fit as the next commissioner in the NFL. Oh, oh, would he be a good fit? I buy it. Will he ever be in that position? I sell it. If you're him, I would you take that? Would you, if, not if a you chance. have both options on the table? Not a chance. Um, I would stay in the NBA. It's player-driven. It's personality-driven. It is a asset on the rise, both nationally and globally. Um, it is a fraction of the amount of players that you have to discipline. Um, it is uh, two less teams that you have to worry about. It is mm-hmm. an easier job in today's climate. The sport is not under fire due to safety issues. Mm-hmm. The sport is not uh, losing viewership due to political issues uh, at the current moment. It is... Um, it is a appreciating asset where as much as I love the NFL, there seems to be some depreciation. If I'm Adam Silver, I'm NBA for as long as possible, sign another contract, retire and sail off into the sunset. Can you replace Gary Bettman instead of Roger Goodell? Uh, I don't think he's going to replace. Yeah, I don't no, think he's going to replace anyone. I, I think that it. he's. I opened up um, this article ESPN had on this um, because I was interested in seeing what, you know what kind of numbers they had that you know Silver's taken the league to. He's increased uh, revenues from four point eight billion to a projected nine point one billion uh, in his five mm-hmm. years. Team valuations have increased by two hundred sixty seven percent. So he is absolutely doing a wonderful job. He's making everybody in the NBA money, and like you said, the, the NBA is just a lot less stressful of a gig of a league to have to run. I know NFL and football will always be king and there's something to that, but the, the NBA is, is a, is a very nice second behind them. And it's a much easier, much cushier gig. I think to have to you know worry about much less stressful on him. And he still makes a whole lot of money. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't see it making any sense. That's all. Yeah, I'm with uh, you. Matt, 
buy or sell Kyler Murray this week in fully committing himself to the NFL and the NFL draft made a bad decision, one that will cost him long-term notoriety? I am going to sell. Uh, we talked about this probably what, it was a few weeks ago. I think this is a similar question on, on buy or sell is what do we think he's, he's going to do? I still think mm-hmm. this is the right decision because I think this is trending towards him being a first-round pick, which is trending towards him getting a lot of guaranteed money still. Um, I know he, he signed whatever uh, the, the signing bonus with the A's and got paid. He's got to give that back, I believe. But at the same time, you know, he's getting more than that for his first deal with the NFL. And all you got to do in the NFL is have a couple good years, have one good year before you're pretty much guaranteeing yourself a second contract somewhere. Whereas if he's going to the major leagues, he's got to kind of toil and make, you know, the league minimum or whatever. I don't even know what the league minimum for minor leaguers is, but make a, not a lot of money for a long time. And, you know, what's the absolute ceiling you're going to hit in the, in the MLB? It's, you know, you the absolute ceiling, the best you can be is Mike Trout. And he's not even a top 20 most popular, top 30 most popular player in all of sports right now. Whereas if you can be an NFL quarterback and succeed there, I mean, that's, that's the pinnacle of sports is being a very good NFL quarterback, being a top NFL quarterback. And the amount of money that's being I, I, thrown around to them, it's I know it's not as guaranteed, but I think it's a better track to make a lot of money than it is trying your luck at being, you know, a, a slap hitting number, you know, five hitter in an A's lineup. From a general standpoint, if you're putting player A in that situation, I totally understand what you're saying. But when player A's name is Kyler Murray and he's five foot nine, it's a different NFL than it was. I mean, I know it's it's tougher to see over the line as a short guy, but the, the game's going to let's get you out of the pocket, let's get you moving. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like he. I, I know the NFL's different. I know the NFL's faster, but it's not like he wasn't playing with big dudes at Oklahoma. I mean, he, he played Alabama. He put up twenty four points. I'm not saying that's going to, I'm not saying that's going to happen again. But like the whole. If there's a time and a place and a league for a 5'9 quarterback to succeed, it's right now. It's today's NFL. It's where today's offenses are going. It's get me the ball and get it out of my hand now. Obviously, being a smaller guy, if he wants to run like he did in college, he's exposing himself to getting hurt. But in the right offense, the right system, he's got an arm. He's got the legs. He's got the, the instinct for it. All signs point to Kyler Murray being a first-round draft pick. He I'd be stunned be, if he wasn't. He will only be the fourth player under six feet tall uh, fourth quarterback under six feet tall drafted in the first round since 1967. The two previous are Mike Vick, who was six foot flat. And why am I blanking on the other one was a bust. Um, I'm blanking on the other one though. I don't know so, off the top of my head either, but that guy, I know um, what you're talking about. Yeah, that guy. That one guy. Historic, uh, historically, historically quarterbacks of this size, not only um, don't exist, but when they do exist, uh, they're, production and their ability to succeed is very low. And if I am a general manager uh, deciding what to do with the future of my franchise in an early first round pick, I just cannot put that stock in a five foot nine quarterback. I don't care if his name is Kyler Murray or Jesus Christ. I, I just can't do it. I, I, I buy, I, I, I buy what you're saying. I, there are definitely general managers who feel that way out there, but I think for everyone that does feel that way, there's another that doesn't, there's another that wants to take a risk on this guy because that's kind of what the league has just become to. It's become trying to find these uber-talented young quarterbacks mm-hmm. before they hit that big contract and see what yeah. you can get out of them. And if you think you can try and catch lightning in a bottle with Kyler Murray in the right situation, I mean, no one's really going to fault you for taking that risk and rolling the dice on him, especially if you can draft well in later rounds. Well, shout out to Jesus, too. I just want to say, like... He's a good big, guy. 
big big, big G pro stands J, on this big podcast. pro JC guy yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. Well, on that note, Jesus Christ I, I, could I, definitely be a good NFL quarterback. On a holy note, yeah, the whole water to wine thing—you mm-hmm. got to be careful with on the on the sideline. Getting He'd you don't want the wrong. Be interesting in the rain. Guys think. <laughs> <laughs> guys think it's a, it's red Gatorade. Now you got everyone lit yo, off. Yo, that, one's, that one's just for me, guys. That one's just for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Matt, should we end this thing on a holy note here? Anything else uh, for the people before we say goodbye? I, I had one more by yourself for you. Oh yeah, I had yeah, my yeah, golf one. Remember? Um, yeah. All right, wrap it up with some golf here, Joe. I know that I know that's your your favorite. Topic. I always love it. Uh, always Matt love it. Kuchar. Uh, back in November, won a uh, the Mayakoba Classic down in Mexico. Uh, his purse is one point two nine six million. He had a fill in caddy for get the, it. Yeah, he had a, uh, a fill in caddy for the weekend that they agreed to a, a three thousand uh, dollar caddy fee for the weekend. Uh, could total up to four in bonuses after the win. Kucher said he paid him five thousand. Typically, the you know the the average tip whatever for a win is ten percent of the winnings. Obviously, five thousand isn't close to Ten percent of one point two million. Um, Kucher apparently math offered, checks out. Math checks. I'm not a math guy, but I think that's right. Uh, <laughs> Kucher apparently offered him a, another fifteen thousand, which the caddy turned down. Now people are now. Whenever this came out, I'm not sure why this is coming out now. You know, three months after the fact, but people are calling Kucher cheap. The caddy's speaking out on Joe. Buy or sell the way Matt Kucher handled the tipping of the caddy are you a good tipper as well no we'll get to that after oh. we'll get to what we know we'll talk about our tipping after get to matt kuchar's tipping you know i this is an interesting situation because that 10 percent going rate is what kind of sticks in my side here a little bit i know that that 10 percent going rate is for your caddy that's usually contractually what you have for yeah. your go-to guy this was a fill-in caddy but 5g off a of buck 20 is a hard sell for me you know mm-hmm. um yes it is five thousand dollars um you're getting paid roughly thirteen hundred dollars a day to walk around and, and clean clubs for for matt Kuchar. sign um, me up Sign me up any day of the week. But at the same time, um, if that, I think it's all important on the precedent that was set on Wednesday or on Monday when the guy started carrying the bag. Mm -hmm. Um, Hey, uh, it's going to be a tip. It's not going to be the 10%. If he was made aware of the situation, I have no problem with it. I do have a problem with it if this was just end of the round cousin the check yeah. or in terms of five grand if cooch pulled out a wad and broke him off five grand in cash however it was done um little bit sketchy now we are talking about like mr nice yeah that's the, why this is weird one of the most, seems like the nicest guy on tour he's one of the most re- highly regarded players on tour by both fans and his other his his peers mm-hmm. um so that's what really confuses me about this uh, do i think the caddy should have got something maybe closer in like the $20,000 range, even if you're not going to pay him the 10%. Yes. But, uh, I'm, what was the original buyer sell? I'm buying that. You're buying Cooch the way Kuchar handled them. this. They made I'm the right. Selling the, I'm okay. selling the way Kuchar handled this, regardless of what the precedent was that was set. Um, it seems like he got the, this caddy got shorted. So the bit. interesting thing to me here is that I, again, I don't know the whole backstory cause this is a relatively new story. But it says Kucher also offered him an additional fifteen thousand dollars, which the caddy turned down. I don't know if the caddy turned that down because, like, he thought it was Kucher being like trying to make up for you know not tipping him well enough. But at the same time, that's a lot of money to turn down just on principle. 
But I, 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 yeah. I, don't, I don't get that. I'm not really understanding it. Having said that, even if the guy does turn down fifteen thousand, you just want one point two million. You probably just write him a check for fifteen grand and say, you know, here you go. Thank you for the weekend. That was great. And wow, I wish that was my problem, my biggest problem in life. That yeah, I just that want is one point two million dollars for a weekend's worth of work. You know, that is odd because you know. I don't have the career earnings in front of me, but but I think the Maybe Kucher family, I think the Kucher family is in a good spot financially right yeah. now. Um, not to count, not to count on another man's money, but if if this guy turned down an extra fifteen grand to make a point, um, it doesn't sound like he's hurting either. Yeah, uh, because you could slap me in the face for fifteen grand right now. I don't care, um, but. It's just it's just a really odd situation, especially because who it's surrounding. Now, if this is a Patrick Reed story, oh my goodness, this mm-hmm. is this is this makes sense. Um, you know, this is another uh, another strike for Patrick Reed in, in terms of being just a terrible human that people don't like to deal with. But this is Matt Kuchar. It's Cooch. I, I don't understand where this is coming from or why it's coming from that point. So I, I just pulled up another article. It was uh, a little bit more recent. It was the, the Caddy's original, or sorry, a little more further back. It's the Caddy's original comments. Uh-huh. Uh, Ortiz said he was offered an additional 15 grand, but turned it down feeling he deserved another 45. Oh, okay. So yeah, dude, he was pissed. Dude, so take this your, guy's pissed. He said, Matt is a good person and a great player. He treated me well. I'm just disappointed by how it ended. Like, dude, I'm sorry. Like, that is, is, it, is it enough for a win? Probably not. But you just got offered fifteen thousand or $20,000 and you said no. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to swallow my pride and take that check. I wouldn't even need to swallow my pride. I'd just take the check. This okay, is thanks. all, you know, doesn't matter what your business is. Set the terms before action is taken. Yeah. And whether you're playing golf or whether you're uh, whatever your business may be, if the terms are set prior to action being taken, you'll never run into this problem. So mm-hmm. there's there's a little there's a little B school uh, little B school nugget for you, Moose and Runes listeners out out there. Yeah, we're we're just we're doing our listeners a favor. We're teaching you how to tip. Speaking well, of which, Joe, what kind of tipper are you? <laughs> I'm a great tipper. I'd like to ask. Yeah, I like the, to. I like to lean. I like to lean the, from. If the, I went around the Sacramento establishments. That's what uh, you know. They well, say, not they to, say sports yeah, anchor Joe Musso tips well. And there is a pressure there because not to say oh, that yeah. I'm. Some oh no, big, your face like, is all over Sacramento well, socialite. You're a celebrity. No, you're I'm not a celebrity. <laughs> I will have the occasional moment of recognition, and I never want to be the. Hey, there's that guy from that thing, and he just tipped me fifteen percent. That's yeah. not that's not going to happen. So we like to hang in the twenty five percent range. Um, I always round up. Yeah, you got to round, round up. up. You got to round up. That's everyone is up and hopefully, That's a life skill. That's a life tip. Always round up. Uh, like tip. you know, when when people talk about like winning the lottery or hitting it big professionally and like just having. Uh, a disposable income. I don't dream about the Lamborghinis. I don't dream about the house on acres. I dream yes, about like do. walking in the front door and just being able to tip everyone a C note. I want to tip people that don't deserve tips, like old Vegas type tipping. Like just walk out with a wad of hundreds and you're just filling pockets. You know, that's, that's, that's what I dream of in terms of a disposable income. That's, so. that's not a bad, that's, that's a very uh, Christ-like way to dream about being rich, Joe. Speaking of our, you know, get, getting back to our Jesus talk. Because Jesus used to walk around with a big wad of hundies. No, he just used to, you know, <laughs> that cure New people. Testament? He just used to that's cure new people of their Testament. diseases. Yes, yeah. Just uh, curing lepers and breaking off C-notes. There you that's, go. Uh, 
that's what the Moose and Runes podcast is all about. That's all Matt, you got anything else for I the people? Got, I think we've gone far. <laughs> hey, happy, before uh, happy we, Valentine's Before we offend everyone. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, a happy Valentine's Day to you. And I'd like to uh, forget pat both of us. Uh, I, Maybe a little bit I later, texted but... you the first thing yeah, I you did. Know, you know, oh, you okay, know, um, yeah. You yeah. want the yeah. you want the public notoriety. I'd hey like, guys, it was like, Matt's birthday earlier this week. It was, and guess what I did? I texted him happy birthday from my bed. I opened my eyes and texted him nice. happy birthday from my bed. It was, it was one of the first nice. things I did. I, I I'm very happy that he did. I thought it was a very nice, nice touching gesture. It was, it so, Moose and Runes yeah. listeners, he might pry for a happy birthday belated. No, uh, I, I'm not. I'm not. I, I gave you the credit immediately. If we could all jump on like Twitter it. here at Matt Rooney23, I believe. I'm Rooney23. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Look him up. Send him a happy birthday, a happy belated, uh, your favorite gift. He yeah, loves gifts. Love, he's I'm a big, a gift, big guy. gift guy. Yeah, he's not. He, he wasn't. He didn't want gifts this year. He wanted gifts. So, uh, oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, you like that? that? Like that, that was, little, little wordplay there. Yeah, wordplay. Um, that's uh, that's a good note to end on right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Matt Rooney, I'm Joe Musso. A happy belated to Matt. A big thank you to Mark Shanowski. As always, like us, retweet us, subscribe, everything, download it. It all helps. Send us those mailbag questions, and we will see you next week for episode 93 of the Moose and Runes podcast. Oh yeah. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the state was phenomenal.